0: Hi, everyone. I'm Aditi Changani, the host, and I'm on a mission to find your ideal career on Grow Up. Hello, listeners, and welcome to another episode of Grow Up. This episode's career path is a combination of business and technology. Today, we'll be talking to Michael Clegg, a globally experienced and well-respected technology executive. Michael has developed products, managed startups, and scaled global business units. As a technology leader, Michael finds solutions to business, technology, and organizational problems to innovate new products. Michael has worked in many sectors and brings technical applications in a business setting. Today, Michael is the vice president and general manager at Supermicro, an information technology company. I'm so excited to have Michael here today to talk to him more about his career journey. Welcome, Michael.
1: Thanks. Hi, dear Tim. Thank you very much. And that's a great introduction. It's um, very good and I'm very pleased to be on your podcast.
0: I'm so delighted and grateful to have you today on my podcast. I just give you a very brief introduction and I would love for you to give a more in-depth introduction about yourself. Okay.
1: Yes. So as you noticed, I'm, I am a technology executive. So I've been involved in the tech area for most of my life. Um, we can talk a little bit about what took me into that. A little bit earlier on, I, you know, sort of what I call a global child. So I was actually born in Kenya and then grew up in mm-hmm. South Africa and then being a British citizen, lived in the UK for a while and now moved to the US. Um, companies, I have groups I have run. We've had global operations worldwide. So I do think of myself as, as a bit of a you know global citizen and think on an international <laughs> basis. And mostly I've been involved in uh, networking communications, telecom, Um, bulk of the time, really Mm -hmm. through the progression from the early days of broadband, um, having done infrastructure equipment, uh, consumer premises equipment, some of the applications, cloud services. So really anything that enables, you know, broadband technology, which we've seen, you know, recently in the COVID has really made a big difference in enabling people to work from home. And that was Mm -hmm. one of the, you know, visions we had for it way out when we started. So. It's been good to see some of that come to fruition.
0: Thank you for letting me and the listeners know a little bit more about yourself. As you mentioned, in your past positions, you've had a pretty big impact on the technical side internationally. Have you always wanted to pursue a field in technology? If not, when did you know?
1: Yeah, so when I was a kid, we didn't really call it technology back then. <laughs> so it was you know, more engineering, I think. Um, you had sort of engineering and science, but more engineering. You know, I probably Mm -hmm. was steered into it fairly early on. Um, My, you know, my father worked um, in in a factory doing trains and he was involved, you know, obviously on the engineering side, um, building Mm -hmm. that. At school, we did IQ type tests and they tell you, you know, you're going to be an engineer one day or, you know, the the science field. Um, Later Mm -hmm. on, when I grew up in South Africa, in the final years of school, you sort of had to pick your field you were going to be in. And, but I'd actually always wanted to do some combination of business and technology, even back then. And I wanted to take, uh, you know, a set of courses that were part business um, and part math. Back then you didn't really do technology, mm-hmm. math courses, math, physics, chemistry. And I wasn't allowed to because, you know, they were they straddled two, <laughs> two fields. So I managed to do an accounting <laughs> course, but the rest of them were sort of orientated around the, the maths area. And then when I went to college, I was sort of deciding, do I do a business degree or do I do a, a technical degree? But I ended up studying electronic engineering, um, you know, mm-hmm. on this notion that you need to do something that's going to be around for a long time. Electronics was the new and up and coming thing back there. and and exciting stuff. So I chose to go do a um, electronics degree. Although again, back then it was, they weren't split. You really studied electrical engineering with a specialization in electronics. There wasn't a Mm -hmm. separate electronics course per se as there is in some colleges now. So it's always been a mix, I guess, even from very young, a combination of doing, you know, both technology and, and business.
0: Wow, so you've known pretty early on that you wanted a combination of both business and technology. Now, kind of going towards the educational side, could you talk a little bit about your educational background and why do you think it's so important to have a strong education?
1: Yeah, so I think, you know, there's, there's some ideas now that you don't need a college degree or sort of university degree, particularly when it comes around to, to programming and I have a number of people in the programming field. And part of that is I think people misunderstand the value of a higher education. The purpose of a higher education is not really to teach you something. I mean, it obviously does that. That's one of the outcomes that you do. But the real value is to teach you how to think. And I was actually very lucky in the university I went to, which was in South Africa. The dean at the time told us, you know, this industry in particular said I did electronics. So the industry was developing incredibly quickly at the time. You know, he basically Mm -hmm. said things we're going to teach you are almost going to be obsolete by the time you graduate. So what we're not going to do is not spend a lot of time teaching you you know, how to do things. What we're going to do is teach you how to teach yourself, so how to learn. And that's probably the most important aspect of a good education, I think, is the ability to, to educate yourself. And certainly in the tech industry, tech technology has a very short half time. Almost certainly the technologies you will learn will obsolete themselves or you work on will obsolete themselves several times through your career so you have to mm-hmm. be continuously learning and being exposed to to new ideas and the latest trends to to stay current so i think that's the most important thing a good college will you know give you that critical thinking give you that ability to to self learn teach you techniques whereas you know a vocational college or going and taking say a programming course will teach you how to program it's a vocational skill and you know mm-hmm. obviously some people can self teach and will become incredibly good at it but that's generally what I've seen, for example, taking programming. Some of my, my friends in the industry have said those who've taken those courses, they come out and they're actually more effective than the college students okay. are uh, because they can program immediately, but they're really good at programming. They're not necessarily good at architecting systems or designing systems thinking about, mm-hmm. you know, a higher level, they basically just get on and code. and you need both for sure. That's the one thing I've learned <laughs> in, in industry, you know, um, you can't just have all chiefs, you know, all all chefs, I mean, If you think of a kitchen and everybody can't be a chef, right? Somebody has to be the line cook, mm-hmm. somebody has to be the chef, whatever, you need the whole combination. So you need different mm-hmm. levels of skills inside your organization. So I think that also really just goes back to the individual, what do they want to do? Some people are great mm-hmm. artisans, and they become unbelievably good at it. And, but some people, you know, more strategic or have different applications and want to apply themselves differently. So it's a little bit understanding your own temperament and what do you want to accomplish.
0: That's definitely an aspect of education that I never really thought of. The in-classroom aspect of education outside of the subject. Now, what other skills do you think are very important when it comes to your field other than being motivated to learn and do well?
1: Well, the, you know, critical thinking is clearly one, um, the ability, mm-hmm. as I said, to self-learn is is very important. You must be, you must have a, a curiosity, I mean, maybe this is more temperament than a skill, but you must be curious <laughs> about things and you must be constantly wanting to read up on things and learn about new things and try, try new things, because that's how you're going to get your, you know, get your exposure and that's what's going to keep you current. I mean, people skills are very important as well um, and communication skills. If there was one thing I would you know, encourage anybody to focus on is communication skills, so interpersonal communications, mm-hmm. um, because it doesn't matter how great your ideas are or how great your work is, if you can't persuade other people to adopt it or utilize it or support you in it, it's going to end mm-hmm. up you know, as a dead end. So doing the work mm-hmm. is only half the problem. Getting the work actually deployed and adopted is the other half of the problem. And those require all the so-called soft skills, not, not just the hard skills.
0: Hmm. So you've been mentioning a combination of both soft and hard skills. Other than those, are there any other components that you look in a candidate when hiring someone in your field?
1: Yeah, I'm quite focused on what the person is going to be doing. I mean, again, mm-hmm. for me, when I'm hiring somebody, I mean, I'm always looking for people who have initiative. So you really want people who are self-motivated, self-driven. So that's one of the, the key things. Um, sometimes to a fault. I think I've hired people that are very really good at presenting themselves as entrepreneurial or having initiative, but sometimes they don't want to actually just get the work done. So you need both. You need people that are you know conscientious. They, they're going to get the work done. But for myself personally, I like people who are um, exploratory in mind. They're curious. They want to do new things. They want to innovate. And that's not true for all people. What was quite interesting is I did a management course once where they, you know, they had different temperaments and they would divide mm-hmm. you up into different groups in ways that, you know, they knew groups would succeed or groups would fail at certain exercises. And one of the things they found is that when you have teams where people are similar, so for example, people are more conservative in their approach, and they actually perform or more innovative in the approach. They perform better when the team is mostly made up of those people, that's when you mix and match that the team doesn't perform well. And if you think about it, it makes sense. If everybody's more, we want to stick Mm -hmm. with the proven ideas, but they all agree on that, they're more likely to make it work. If everybody's, let's tear it all up and come up with something new, but they all agree on that, again, they're more likely to make it work. That's when you have Mm -hmm. half the group wants to stick with the old ways and half the group wants to tear it up that they just argue about what to do and end up not actually doing anything. So the other area I've really learned is temperament. You've got to, you've got to build a, a team where people are balanced amongst each other. And I've definitely been in organizations where you have you know, incredibly smart people that just don't fit. And the analogy I use is something like a, a sports team, particularly a soccer team. Um, you can see players that do fantastic with one club, and then they get transferred for tens mm-hmm. of millions of dollars into another club, and they're just a complete failure. And it's not because the player mm-hmm. suddenly became terrible at playing sport, it's because they don't fit into the team that, you know, that manage your <laughs> style in where they fit. So team fit and style mm-hmm. is something to look for. Unfortunately, that is very, very hard to do until you've actually joined an organization. So that's a little bit one of the challenges.
0: I just wanted to say, I really enjoy your analogies. They've helped me understand more complex ideas that you've been mentioning into more simpler terms. So thank you. <laughs> You started off your career more on the technical side with an engineering background. How did the transition look like going into the business world and taking on more roles with a combination of business and technology?
1: So I, I don't think I've ever really transitioned. And I mean, two minds, whether that's, uh, you know, a good or, <laughs> or a bad thing. I'm um, unfortunately, people like you to, like to put you in one, <clears throat> one bucket or the other. But really, mm-hmm. the way I think of myself is more like many of the tech founders, you know, um, you could Bill Gates Microsoft or Steve Jobs or Wozniak, or you go earlier on, Howard Hughes at an mm-hmm. Aircraft. And that's sort of, in a way, if I aspire to, would be something like that, is these people started, you know, companies around a technology, but they ended up running the company as well. Right? So obviously they had to have a degree of business, um, business savvy with them as well. And for me, when I've looked at technology, it goes back to what I said earlier mm-hmm. on, is to me, you know, a technology is not successful until it's deployed. So building the, the greatest technology in a lab or in a company that's fantastic, but nobody ever adopts it and uses it, it's not a success. And it's not an effective mm-hmm. use of you know, corporate capital to do that either. So it was that, that sort of need to actually get something adopted and deployed that always drags me towards the, the business side of the equation. So really, when you've been a technology market, there's two problems you have to solve. One is the technology itself, mm-hmm. and the second one is how do you get it adopted in the market? And, you know, if you look, we live in Silicon Valley where there's lots of startups, you know, metrics show that over the half Mm -hmm. the startups fail because they never find a market fit, right? They don't find a product market fit. So building product in a way is a little easier than actually finding market fit. So you need to do both when you want to Mm -hmm. commercially realize a technology.
0: So do you feel that it's important for someone who's going into the tech field to have both a strong business and technical background?
1: I don't think it's important to have a business background for people to go into technical field if you're going to remain a technical specialist. Um, it's useful to have a business background because, you know, again, you want to understand how your product is going mm-hmm. to be used and maybe that's not a business background, that's just a user background. So you always want to think about your product from the context of the user, not from the product context of the creator. Um, mm-hmm. The flip side is true. I, I do believe that if you are a business executive in a high-tech company, particularly in high-tech, I think you do need to have a strong technical background to be successful. There are a few people who obviously are not so, and and those tend to be incredibly strong at sales, so they can sort of sell their way um, to success, and you do need salespeople to sell your products. But generally, you know, even if I look at somebody Mm -hmm. like John Chambers of Cisco, when he was CEO, I mean, John did not have a a technical background, but if you ever listen to him speak about Cisco products, he knew their products incredibly well at a technical level of detail as to how they solved the customer's problem, why they solved the customer's problem, and why they were better. And I just use that Mm -hmm. as one example because he was quite visible. But you see how important it was for somebody, even at CEO level, to really be able to talk about the product itself.
0: Definitely. I think it's important to maybe consider what field you see yourself going in the long run and how important that educational background would be. So you've been mentioning a lot of benefits of the technical field. Do you think there are any major challenges that come when entering this field?
1: Mm. Well, one I mentioned, and, you know, so challenges I would assume you're really asking from a personal perspective, an individual's perspective. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the big challenges in tech, obviously, as I said, is staying current, right? Your your technology or your whatever you learn will obsolete fairly quickly. Um, mm-hmm. So you need to be able to continually self-learn. You need to re-up your skills all the time. You've got to be careful about not becoming I mean, too good at something that goes stale. This is actually quite easy to happen. Um, you can get involved in a company where you become a real es- expert in a technology, let's say a computer language that is slowly going out of fashion. But because you, mm-hmm. you're the only one that still knows how to write in it, you get all the jobs, right? And so for a while, it's great because you're super mm-hmm. busy and you're this very important person. Um, but suddenly in 20 years time or 15 years time, a company goes out of business or gets acquired or does whatever, and now you need to mm-hmm. go find another job and you don't know any other modern languages because you've been kept you know, working 50 hours or 100 hours a week just on this little language that only you still remember. So it's a gotta be a little bit careful to be pigeonholed um, in the technology. So you want to be, you know, scanning the field to see where things go. And of course, you need to stay on something long enough to achieve a high level of competency in it as well. So that's one of the real challenges, I would say, with tech. Um, the other challenge is that many, as we said earlier, around communication skills, many other things that make people really good programmers or engineers is they're very analytical and they sort of a little more introverted, they have no problem spending hours by themselves solving problems. <laughs> but this is not a, a role that makes you good at communications. <laughs> so you have mm-hmm. to, you know, you have to actively work at your communication skills a, a, a little bit as well. And then for people who end up in marketing or in sales, the challenge for them often is that I necessarily have that technical background that, that I spoke about that really, you need to pick up if you want to be successful.
0: Hmm. That's something I never really thought about, thinking that the technical field, there's a lot of things growing and advancing, but there's also things that kind of go down. Because if you're advancing in one area, the other area would kind of die away. So that was something interesting to think about.
1: Now, yeah, we have a very good example today. You know, if you go out and you mm-hmm. become an internal combustion car engineer, you probably only got, you know, 15 years left <laughs> um, before right <everybody laughs> riding around in battery cars, right? So... Mm-hmm. Um, some of the other aspects, you know, computer languages, I mean, unfortunately, it's become mm-hmm. almost too easy to invent a new computer languages. So computer languages are constantly being obsoleted in, um, you know, in electronics, the type of componentry that we used when I started, you know, doesn't really exist anymore. So it's different, different semiconductor techniques. So yeah, it's, it's basically just, it doesn't, it's not a, you know, a complete change. It's more an evolution, but it's been able to mm-hmm. keep up with those evolutions as you go along.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for that example, because I think that's something interesting to think about. So the next question is if you could go back in time, would you do anything differently?
1: Mm-hmm. I probably would have increased my business skills a little earlier. So, mm-hmm. uh I never took a lot of formal business courses when I was younger and I maybe should have done that a bit more given my strong interest in business. I've generally learned, you know, on the job. So doing something and then because it's a little easier, then it keeps you focused and you're required to do it. That's probably the only real thing. You know, we all are creatures of circumstances. So if I had, you know, one other thing I probably would have tried to do is arrive in Silicon Valley 10 years earlier than I did. So, um, given that this is a sort of natural habitat for people like me
0: mm-hmm. well i was kind of hoping you would say taking a class like calculus or statistics in high school just because as high school students we're expected to take classes like these especially if we want to go into the stem and business field so i was just curious in the last few days do you remember applying a calculus concept or using a theory from physics or statistics
1: yeah, so I think part of that question is a misunderstanding of the role of of math in, in tech. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I would just say that when I was a kid, we didn't learn calculus at high school. And I do think sometimes think asking high school students to learn calculus is probably a little early in the cycle. We actually only did it at the college level. But then we had, you know, four year, four year degree. So you might argue that our first year was a little bit a um, final mm-hmm. year of high school when the sort of advanced placement in, in high school. But, you know, there is a time they've shown us that, you know, brain search just click on certain things at certain times and delaying things by a year or two can just make it a lot easier. But going back mm-hmm. to, you know, the earlier question, so the reason why you really need to learn math is obviously, is, you know, STEM is a math based field. Um, mm. And mathematics, as I said, is the language of science and engineering. So if you want to be able to do science and engineering, you need to understand math. You Also, the big value of math is a teacher's critical thinking and problem solving, which is fundamental to the way most um, STEM fields work. So do you get to apply your mathematics? I would say indirectly, um, all the time, directly, no. Nowadays, if you're using you know a CAD or CAM program, computer-aided design program, the computer is doing most of the mathematics for you, so people don't actually... Mm-hmm unless they're particularly involved in certain fields, don't really crunch that many numbers anymore. If you're involved Mm -hmm. directly in, for example, signal processing, you might, or if you're designing some low-level algorithms, you might, but for most people, it's it's an applied tool that they don't really, you know, think about. But once you understand um, mathematics, you do apply it indirectly. And, you know, there's a current example right now. So what is calculus, right? Calculus is just essentially gradients. And
0: mm-hmm.
1: so if you look at um, how that gets applied, you, you deal a lot of times, both in business and in, in engineering, with things that are a rate of change. You know, how fast do things change? What's the impact when they change? Are they changing exponentially? Are they changing annually? This could be whether how's your revenues in the company growing? How is, you know, a product reacting in the market? If you're doing aeronautics, you mentioned you're interested in. If you're flying. At what Mm -hmm. point, you know, do you stall? So there's many areas where an intuitive understanding just of how the math applies in the field is going Mm -hmm. to be, you will use it without thinking about it. And if you can't use it without thinking about it, the probable chances are you're not going to (laughs) be successful at what you're doing, right? It just becomes sort of how you you approach things. So I think that's really Mm -hmm. it. For most people, they will end up um, doing it subconsciously. They'll never, as I said, actually write out a calculus equation and try and solve it but they will apply the principles of what you learn in mathematics, you know, frequently um, throughout their career. Now, what's been quite interesting, we've had the COVID um, crisis recently, and something occurred to me, and scared to me personally. But, um, you know, at the time when last year, when the COVID was expanding, it's an exponential curve, right? So viruses expand exponentially. And so people were looking at the curves and to see how fast it was growing. And then when they were trying to decide on the lockdown, you know, where we had a turning point was the, was the rate of change starting to slow down, right? So, rate of change is a, is a differential equation. Now, what mm-hmm. struck me was interesting because I was reading something different. Um, during the Black Plague, they also um, isolated people. So, one of the standard mechanisms was essentially to, to quarantine and isolate people. And the idea behind doing that is you break the chain of transmission, right? So, you eventually get mm-hmm. your reproduction rate below one. So you naturally end up thinking about gradients and curves. And anyway, the point of the story is, you may, you may not know this, but Isaac Newton, who was one of the inventors of calculus, was actually in quarantine in UK during one of the Black Plague phases. So I just sometimes wondered if he was sitting there, you know, all by himself in his, in his cottage looking at, you know, gradient curves, and maybe that's how he came up with the idea of calculus. But. Um, but this idea of, you know, gradients and exposures and rates of changes is very common, you know, even if you want to buy stock prices, right, in financial markets. So, yes, you will end up using it. You just may not call it calculus.
0: Oh, dang it. I was really hoping you would say it's not worth it. But <laughs> yes. I guess that is something interesting to think about.
1: I think one of the important things with math, which I don't think they always do as effectively, is, again, that's sort of what we spoke on earlier about careers, is they teach you mathematics and the danger is they teach it formulaically, right? Here's a problem, here's mm-hmm. the formula, plug the numbers in, get an answer, which is great because you get all the right answers, but it never really teaches you what the purpose of the formula is or how it's applied. Sometimes I think maths would make more sense to people if they if they could put it in context. Now, I know with um, Common Core, they're trying to do that. They don't just give you maths problems, but they try to give you a maths mm-hmm. problem that's related to a real-world example. But sometimes if they just, you know... We were actually doing this when I was in college. We were learning Fourier transforms, which is something you'll come on to. And, you mm-hmm. know, and we asked, well, this is all good, but why do you even use a Fourier transform? And when the professor just spent 15 or 10 minutes explaining the application areas for Fourier transforms, one, it made it much more interesting to go and learn, and two, when you were <laughs> learning it, suddenly you could understand what the purpose of doing all this was, right? You actually mm-hmm. had a real old application. So I think sometimes mathematics would be a little easier if people could sort of give you a, a context for it.
0: Yeah, so I've been very fortunate to have a few teachers that have really explained how mathematical formulas have been derived, which I think is very crucial when it comes to really understanding core concepts of math and how to apply it to different areas. At the beginning of the podcast, you mentioned how during the pandemic, Supermicro actually benefited from it. So I was just curious, how did your stay-at-home order look and how did that differ from your daily life as a technology executive?
1: Yeah, so actually oddly enough for Supermicro we did not stay at home. So Supermicro is classified as an essential business because we have many, mm-hmm. we have manufacturing over here. We make servers that are used in, you know, um, critical IT infrastructure, hospitals and so on. So we actually worked all the way in the office through through the covid. Um, so that didn't change that much from an office point of view. What mm-hmm. did change was, you know, I, w- I would travel extensively. I said our business is global and and I would do business mm-hmm. globally. And so I haven't traveled for business since, you know, January of last year. So my last trip was, was to wow. Japan. So that's been a big change, you know, doing a lot more calls on, on you know, over conferencing media, doing shows you know trade shows events over online instead of in person and so that's been mm-hmm. probably the you know the biggest change for us is adapting to that and you know I would say there's definitely been some benefits of there are certain advantages of doing things online oddly enough mm-hmm. it's a little easier to connect with people online for <laughs> example at a trade show because you're all sharing each other's login information there's now applications almost like social media applications where you can connect with people you know uh, mm-hmm. Whereas if you in person, you're basically literally relying on bumping into the right person in a tea line or a coffee line or at lunch or sometime or physically <laughs> in the corridor. So, oddly enough, it's a little easier to connect. But, you know, probably I would say that business is not as effective without that in person contact because people will mm-hmm. tell you the business is still about personal relationships. And what you tend to find in online sessions is they're very transactional. Okay, we can have a meeting, we're going to discuss this today and that's what happens. And really when you develop true business relationships, it's the dinners, it's the coffees, it's the time together where you get to understand each other as individuals, you get to understand the background for the companies, you know, this context that I keep referring to that then makes it much easier to do business. Or when you have problems, you know you know each other personally, So you're more likely to resolve them amicably rather than start pulling out the legal contracts and getting the lawyers involved. So business is still about people at the end of the day and people are very social. Mm -hmm. People are about meeting person to person. So that that will come back fairly quickly, I think. Mm -hmm.
0: So you feel that traveling would be something that will not significantly decrease after the pandemic and we'll kind of go back into it. Or do you think that you'll start incorporating like Zoom trade shows, for example?
1: I think um, travel will definitely stay down. I mean, travel is a, (laughs) for a completely different reason. Travel is a universal budget that companies like to squeeze all the time. So I think Mm -hmm. any idea that more business could be done, you know, without having to travel and the associated travel costs, companies will look at that. And as I said, there have been some cases when it's a little more effective in, (laughs) I would probably say when you're developing the relationship, it's more important to show up in person. Once you have a relationship Mm -hmm. with somebody, you could probably scale back some of the travel. Some of the standing meetings that you would have once a month or whatever probably don't always need to be in person. And in trade shows, I think we will just see a hybrid. We will see people doing um, both online and in person, but I think we will also see in-person trade shows gaining an online component, so some sort of hybrid combination. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm, Definitely. I think having maybe the hybrid component might be beneficial, especially with the business's budget. Um, Our next question is, is there any words of advice for students out there still deciding their career field or even just anything specific for the
1: technical field? So I'll I'll stick to tech because business is incredibly broad. Takes a little more whatever. (laughs) You know, I think the, the main thing is going in is to really understand what your motivation is. Uh, why, mm-hmm. you know, why are you entering this career? Do you have a natural interest? What I call is there a pull, right? Um, is there something about it that attracts you? You know, once you're in a career, you can, you can change. I mean, many people start in engineering, and then they move to marketing, and then maybe they move to business management. Or they start in engineering and they go to technical sales and then they go to regular sales normally as their technical skills erode a little bit and the communication skills personal interpersonal skills improve so you don't you know within a tech industry you don't have to stay in a particular field your whole you know your whole career that that will evolve um, the biggest piece of advice is really is to find a industry that is emerging that's fairly new. One thing we mentioned about the tech industry is that its half-life is very short in any particular industry, but that's obviously going to be longer if you start on something that is, you know, right at the beginning of its cycle. And it's also easier to make a name for yourself and establish a reputation because there's not a lot of people who are, who are experts, right? At that point, nobody's really an expert. So, so it's easier okay. to come in. And if you're sort of there at the genesis of the industry, it's like, learning the language as a child, you just automatically always know it, right? It's just sort of your brain gets wired around it. Whereas if you're mm-hmm. in later in the industry, you never have that, like we were speaking about the mathematics, that core concept, right? That how, why did this mm-hmm. come about to begin with? If you were there when it comes about, you know it. So for new people, I would probably say is, you know, understand your own motivational drivers, but to try find, you know, industries that are, or areas or fields within industry that are fairly new in there gestation cycle because it will give you a longer runway.
0: Yeah, actually that's something that I never really thought of about thinking of something that motivates you. Cause we hear that people say to follow your heart, which is definitely important. But thinking about something that motivates you, pushes you every day to really reach your limits and be the best version of yourself. Well so
1: there's a there's a really good chart on that. So there's a book, Good to Great. I can't quite remember the author at the moment, but It was actually really written about our businesses scale from good to great, but a lot of people ended up using it for career development as well. So it's one that's Mm -hmm. worth reading. But in the book, um, he talks about three circles and there is, you know, what are you good at, what do you want to do and Mm -hmm. what is your economic factor? How do you make money? And the thing about it is if you're very interested in something and you're great at doing it, but it doesn't make money, it's a Mm -hmm. hobby, not a career. So you also need to find out how do you, you know, essentially do things that you both enjoy, because if you enjoy something, you're just naturally going to be more interested in doing it. And the more time you spend on something, the better you become in doing it. So that helps. But there also needs to be, you know, sort of a monetary aspect to it as well. So don't confuse hobbies and careers. (laughs)
0: <laughs> um, so good to great has been added to my book list. Are there any other books that you think are essential for any student out there deciding their career field or just your favorite book that you think that everyone should read?
1: Um, well, good to great is one of them. There's a very old book, which again, if you're going to get into the tech industry mm-hmm. it's called Crossing the Chasm as a sort of Silicon Valley Bible for product management, mm-hmm. But it's really about how do you take innovative startups into to scale, right? Mm -hmm. So that's a useful book, because even when you're not doing a startup, you know, what people 9 out of 10 startups fail is the sort of metric. But most people don't also know, but within a company, 9 out of 10 internal projects also fail. So how do you get a project, you know, to get to the point where it's commercially successful? So, you know, those are two, but I read many books and you know, other books I would encourage people to do read is books around communication skills and around um, how the brain works. So those are um, fairly useful mm-hmm. books as well. So, And when I say how the brain works, I don't mean neuroscience. I mean, you know, how do people think? How do people communicate? How do people make decisions? So books like Blink, for example, is one book. Um, the, these types of books, you know, how does the brain respond? Because that's going to teach you a little bit about your own... <laughs> process how you approach things, but also mm-hmm. when you see other people do stuff, you know, oh, I kind of know why they did that and instead of reading all sorts of things into it. Um, I'm a big advocate of leadership and, you know, anything that relates to leadership books. In the early days, it's probably useful to try read autobiographies or biographies mm-hmm. of people who have done well in business, so you understand their life journey and drivers. And that's what I did a lot when I was started out.
0: Well, thank you for that advice. I think along with me and the listeners should also start incorporating reading autobiographies of people that we look up to. Finally, our last question for today is, what is it about your job that makes you excited to wake up every single morning?
1: So I'm naturally a problem solver, so I like solving problems. It's a nice (laughs) thing in the tech industry, and this is either a curse or a good thing. It's an industry that's full of problems. (laughs) So it's um, mm-hmm. you know it's almost like if you like doing puzzles, you wanted to go do puzzles. Coming to work every day and solving problems, and really solving problems for the benefit of you know customers or trying to get products out there and actually solving uh, you know real world type problems. So you know one of the things we do at supermarket is we built the supercomputer that Lawrence Livermore uses for COVID research. So it's nice mm-hmm. when you go to work and the things you're doing are being applied you know out in the into the broader industry. I've been doing a lot of work around five G. And 5G is going to ultimately, Mm -hmm. several years away, still despite the hype, but ultimately going to make a really big difference to some of the ways we communicate and interact. So Mm -hmm. it's really that, you know, that's why you become an engineer because you hopefully can change the world for the positive and do things to make the world a better place. So that's still the motivation.
0: Well, I think that piece of advice was the best way to really end the podcast episode today. Thinking that, you know, every day that you wake up, is like solving many puzzles. And even though it's more complex than that, it's just kind of interesting to think about what is the real motivation of working every single day. So once again, thank you so much, Michael, for sitting with me today and just talking to me about your career and your journey to reaching and becoming this extremely successful and well-respected international technology executive. Along with that, Michael has talked about a lot of skills that are important when it comes to the field, also just being a person who works, having the combination of both soft and hard skills, being able to communicate, also being able to be intuitive, and being able to learn new things as you go, especially in the tech world. Another thing he mentioned was being more proactive, being able to read autobiographies, of people that you look up to in your field. One book that he really recommended for someone who's a little lost going into what career field they would like was Good to Great, along with other different books that you should definitely check out and also maybe help you expand your reading skills. He also talked about later along the line, if you do plan to go into the technical side of business or in business in general, thinking about if you need a technical education, maybe having an engineering background or if you have an engineering background and you wanna pursue somewhere in the business side, it might be important to also consider having a business background. So being able to evaluate yourself and realize what education or experience that you need to enter your dream field is definitely something to consider later along the line. So once again, thank you so much, Michael, for sitting with me today. I know you're really busy. So thank you for taking time to talk a little bit about your career
1: journey. All right, no problem, Did I really enjoyed my time with you. It was a great talk, and I hope your audience likes it as well.
0: I definitely learned so much and really enjoyed having her talk, and I really hope that everyone who is listening today also enjoyed it. And anyways, hope you have an amazing day. Until next time, bye.